Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Hey, parents. You're listening to the Project Parenthood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist. One of the most common issues I deal with in my practice is when two parents, whether they're together or parenting separately, are on two very different pages when it comes to parenting styles. One parent, for instance, places a lot of value on feelings, connection, and finding mutually beneficial solutions. And one parent's focus is getting the children to comply with directives quickly, efficiently, and without complaint. To get some tips on this subject, I interviewed Dr. Alasia Parsons a researcher, coach, and clinical psychologist in private practice in Brooklyn, New York. Dr. Parsons specializes in getting couples unstuck from long-standing destructive patterns. She works with couples to help clarify the cycles keeping them trapped and provides tools for them to join together against the issues tearing them apart. Dr. Parsons has extensive training in working with people of color and uses a multicultural framework to help couples navigate the ways that their racial identities shape their interactions in their relationships. Dr. Parsons' work helps couples rediscover the love and compassion that brought them together and gives value-based goalposts to keep them on track in maintaining the relationship they've always wanted. As an assistant professor at New York University, Dr. Parsons' research focuses on the alleviation of relationship and family distress in underrepresented populations, with a specific emphasis on Black couples and family systems. I think you'll enjoy our conversation and come away with a better understanding of ways co-parents can learn to communicate better. Here's our chat. Hello, Dr. Parsons. Hi, how are you? It's lovely to have you here. Lovely to have you here. I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and the work you do with couples so people can learn a little bit more about you. Absolutely. So hello, everyone. I am Dr. Alasia Parsons. I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm one so excited to be here. So thank you for having me. A core belief that I hold that really, I think, is the thread that unites all the the work that I do is that love is a base human need and a base human right. And so the work that I do supports all people, but especially Black people, in finding and cultivating healthy love um, to keep in our lives. And so I do that clinically. I work with couples. A lot of the couples that come to me are kind of at that last straw, this place of, you know, this is my last try. I've, I've done everything I possibly can. And this recognition that you're just not seeing each other. You're not hearing each other. You're not understanding each other. And you're desperate to get your partner to kind of respond to your needs. And so I I work with couples to booster those skills. Like how can we communicate better and really kind of cultivate that base foundation to be able to understand each other and hear each other um, and and helping people just in building those pathways to kind of repair from from past harm and, and disconnection. So 
that's my work in a nutshell. <laughs> well, thanks for explaining that. And and one of the reasons I wanted you to be here is because you work for a particular paradigm, right? A particular approach that talks about sort of the patterns that we get into mm-hmm. with our loved ones, right? Yes. And and if and something about that is really something I see so much with the families that I work with and the relationship between parents and children. And you're working in that sort of relational patterns as well. And, and those same patterns happen with parents and children as well. So if you could speak a little bit to that, and because what today I'm wanting to ask you a little bit about what to do when you're not on the same page with your partner about parenting and in particular, you know, what are you seeing when couples aren't on the same page? Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you for for leading me in that in that path. So uh, I work from I work from a couple of different modalities, but the one you're speaking of is EFT, emotional focus therapy. And so the way that I explain it is that we have emotional um, needs, and that those emotions, whether we know these connections or not, are driving our behaviors. And oftentimes we are reacting to our partner's behavior. So those things that we can see when we're not aware of the emotional need that's driving it. Mm. And so the work that I do is about peeling back the layer of the behavior, that thing that's in your face, that thing that's probably setting you off, that thing that, that you know, is pisses you off, makes you angry, You that one thing that you could change about your partner, right? And I show then what is that emotional need driving the behavior? And that's the part, that's the vulnerable piece of us that we can join with, that we can connect with, that we can do something with, right? Like we can respond to. And it helps us then reconnect with our partners, right? Because usually that surface behavior is a defense. It's one that pushes away or attacks or withdraws, right? So it's a, it's it's hard to meet that behavior, but the emotional wound underneath we can attend to. Mm-hmm. I talk so much with my families about this. This idea that you know we're look we're seeing our child present with a very challenging behavior, and we're and we're responding to the behavior. However, there's something driving that behavior. There is a need. There's some emotions. There's some feelings there that if we can see things from a person experiencing those, those underlying things, we, their behavior makes a little bit more sense to us. If I'm a parent who can see that, who, who can see like, oh, there's this underlying thing going on with the behavior. What happens if my partner, the other person I'm parenting with is really only responding to the behavior? And they really don't see this underlying thing. And we're just really not on the same page at all about this. And I'm feeling really worried about the fact that we're not really parenting from the same place and we're giving our child mixed messages or something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, parenting conflict is one one of those big issues, right? Where there's so many different reasons you all can be on different pages. As you're talking, one of the things that I'm thinking about is if you as the a parent are able to like understand this concept, right? Of we have these surface behaviors and these underlying emotional needs and I can put myself in my child's shoes, you know, and see, you know, that whatever that challenging behavior that they're presenting with, that there's something else driving it, right? That's a skill that you can also apply to your co-parent who who maybe is uh, using a particular strategy or approach that you feel isn't 
helpful, isn't effective, or is different than what you might do in that situation. You're seeing a surface behavior. There's a need underneath that. There's an emotion kind of driving it. And how can you peel back the layer? How can you pause your own reaction to your Mm -hmm. partner's, you know, whether it be aggression or authoritarianism, whatever it is that you're not, not pleased with, and see the emotional need underneath it in a way to connect with it, in a way to empathize with it, and in a way to kind of join with it in hopes of, you know, bringing out a different dynamic between all three of you Mm. or however many children are involved, if if that makes sense. So maybe you can say a little bit about what that sometimes does, what you've seen that do. The the idea that someone can maybe empathize, see it from their perspective, empathize with, well, if I felt that way, maybe I would be sort of behaving this way. Mm -hmm. What have you seen that be able to do in terms of uh, people being able to hear one another. Ah, there we go. Yeah. So what it does is it drops the guards. So in communication, many of us are tied to our perspective so much so that when that perspective is challenged, we feel a very visceral need to defend it as if we are defending ourselves. So when there is an expression of understanding of your, you know, perspective, of your emotions, of your uh, experience, it allows that other person to then drop that defense. I no longer have to defend. I no longer have to hold tight to this lens. And it gives, it gives them then room to move. Mm-hmm. If instead I'm so fixated, so focused on defense, I have no room to move. (laughs) So when you are able to validate your partner's experience, when you're able to name, you know, what somebody might be feeling or, or what might be driving their behavior, they no longer have to do that. Mm. They then have choice. I'm not saying they definitely will, but I'm saying they now have choice to move in ways that they might not have otherwise. It's so similar to what I say to my families that I work with around listening to their children, taking their children's point of view, validating their children's, their children's point of view, and also understanding that there's all these emotions happening on that other end that they, that may not be happening for them, right? Like this idea that, you know, that's nothing to be upset about, or this idea that like, I wouldn't be upset in that same situation but they are upset, right? And so if you can see it from their point of view, and if I were that upset, you know, what would it feel like, right? Putting yourselves in someone else's shoes. What's a good way to get someone to say what they're feeling about, you know, what they, you, know, you want to know what their point of view is, but sometimes people are hard to, um, they're more shut down, or maybe they're more, um, reluctant to really say what's going on for them. They're more of like, and I'm just going to act in the way that I need to act. I'm just going to start doing things. I'm not so much of a talk about it before I do it kind of person. Do you have any advice for, you know, getting people to even be open to a conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, and I first want to say there's a lot of reasons why people don't share what they're feeling. One of which is that many people don't know what they're feeling. So, you know, if if we start with that kind of like base place of empathy, right? So it's not always that people are intentionally 
closing you out or not willing. Sometimes, you know, they themselves don't have the words. And so I say that as a starting point because one suggestion that I have, and it's what I do in in therapy quite often is modeling, right? With the check-in after. So for example, you know, and I will use myself as an example. I'm not always in tuned with, for example, when I'm hungry. (laughs) And when I'm hungry, I have less capacity. I'm more irritable. (laughs) You know, I might snap at my, at my daughter more, uh, you know, I'm hungry. So my partner though is very in tune with me and usually can see kind of minor shifts in my temperament before I might notice them. And so if he witnesses that and is in the room and basically is taking this this stance of, "Mm, I think you might be being a little unfair or, you know, uh, your parenting approach right now is harsher than I think is is justified. He might just point out like, it looks like, you know, you might be hungry right now. Maybe even before that place, seems like you're pretty irritated right now. Is that what's going on? And that just gives me the moment of actually reflecting, am I irritated? Because usually I don't actually notice, right? I'm like, and then I can, you know, pause and say, I am uh, irritated. And then think about why I'm irritated. It gives me that room, right? I don't have to defend because he's actually just named for me. He's modeled for me that place of expression. It looks like you're upset right now. If I had to judge, it looks like you're angry right now. Is that what's going on? And it gives your partner or your co-parent a chance to either say, yeah, that is what's going on, what's happening. I am upset right now. Or to clarify, no, I don't, I'm not actually irritated. I'm just, and sometimes he, he might miss the mark. And it's, I'm not upset. This is what's happening. I actually feel sad right now. Or I, you know, whatever else might be going on internally for me. If it's not something that's kind of volunteered ahead of time, you have the opportunity to bring it out by taking a guess. Based on what you've seen, what do you think your partner might be feeling or your co-parent might be feeling? And then checking in. It looks like you're upset right now. It looks like you're you know, frustrated. It looks like you're overwhelmed. Is that what's happening? And then being, but the, this is the important part though, and being open to that response, right? Being open to actually hearing what is going on. Right. Because if your partner says, yes, I am, I'm, I'm extremely angry, mm-hmm. right? Then it, then being there to hear about that anger, right? Rather than potentially talking them out of it. This is why you should not be angry. There we go. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you know what I think is so valuable about that, especially for thinking about in the moment for children, because for children, it can be very disorienting and confusing. So what you're doing is you're reorienting them. You're explaining to them like, your nervous system might have picked up on this too. Let me name it. Let me bring it into the room. And let me also then help you externalize it and know that you don't have to, as the child, kind of take ownership of that feeling, right? I've now given it a source that, you know, is external to you. Absolutely. You know, it's it's a good point you bringing up this idea of what the child might be experiencing when the the parents are having discord, conflict Mm -hmm. around the parenting situation Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what it's like for a child to feel like what's happening here. Is it about me? Right. Is this, is this about me? Because they are talking about parenting. Yeah. Right. Um, So the idea of, of one parent sort of saying out loud, Hey, is this what's going on? Mm -hmm. Gives the child some context as well. Exactly. Whether it's happening, 
you know, cognitively or not, whether it's happened consciously or not, our children often are kind of self-blaming, right? And are thinking, so I'm the problem in this situation. I'm the one that's incited this this rage or this anger or frustration. And it's because I've done something wrong. So now it gives them a different narrative. Yeah. And and so when a child has seen this conflict between parents, um, there's been some sort of blow up. There's been some sort of um, disagreement that a child has witnessed. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk a lot with parents about repairing with their children. I'm wondering if there's if there's anything parents need to know um, that might be important about repairing with one another. Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful. I'm so glad you brought that up. You know, it's again, it's just modeling. You know, when I'm talking with couples, some of the work that we're doing in the beginning is them identifying that pattern that they're in. So in EFT, we call it that dance, right? That that they're in, and them being able to see it. And so the initial work is catching themselves. So, you know, when they're in conflict throughout the week, I'll say, you know, just you're not trying to stop fighting right now. You're not trying to change, you know, um, what happens. You're trying to see what's happening. And so the sooner that you're able to see, oh, we're in that dance that Dr. Parsons has been talking about, right? The sooner that you're able to identify it, right? Then we can do the work of shifting, So when you're able to model that same experience of catching yourself and then what you uh, then do when you have caught yourself, when you've made a mistake, when you're able to model that for your child, you're teaching them how to move through conflict in life, right? Because all of us will make mistakes. They will make mistakes throughout their life. So what do you do when you make a mistake? You name that you've made the mistake. You take accountability for that. You apologize. And then you shift that behavior, right? So that can look like, again, I'll go back to myself in that example. You know, I... I, maybe I've, uh, you know, been snippy or had some type of conflict that my, the, our child's seen or witnessed. And then me being able to name, you know, I'm sorry I lashed out earlier. I was stressed about work. Really, I was feeling overwhelmed. I didn't mean to push you away. It's giving them the story because just like we we're just talking about how, you know, children internalize, we as adults, we have those children inside of us internalizing too. So really what you're offering your partner is you didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't you, you know, <laughs> I, it was, this was on me. Let me take back that ownership, you know, that anger that I, that I threw at you um, and instead give you kind of compassion and love and understanding, which is what I want the, the base of our relationship to be. That brings me to, um, I know that you do work with vulnerability, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how working with vulnerability can be helpful when parents are not on the same page. Maybe I lean more permissive, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I'm a parent who really just feels like, you know, why are we setting all these rigid boundaries? You know, like, why mm-hmm. can't we just like let the kids sort of, I don't want them to be angry with me. You know, yeah. I don't want, and there's another parent saying, you know, what, when are we going to put our foot down here? Like we yeah. have to, we have to have some kind of structure. Yeah. But I feel really worried that I don't want the kids to be angry with me. I don't want them to be upset. I don't want them to be frustrated. I just want them to be happy. And how can working with vul- vulnerability, if I'm the parent who is, wanting some more structure, you know, how can that help me, you know, you know, find some solution with my co-parent? Yeah. I love that question. So I'll start with, you know, when I think about what vulnerability is, vulnerability is allowing someone to see you, the real you. So it is a risk 
and it is scary. And it, it is the core of true connection. Because if somebody's responding to a mask that you have, there's also a barrier to your relationship with them. So there's not a, a pure line, you know, person to person. But if you drop those masks, if you drop that the facade, the cover story, you know, those things that keep us safe and show them the real you, yes, that's scary, but you also have the opportunity to connect in a, a more genuine, you know, deeper way. The other part of it is vulnerability welcomes and invites vulnerability. So if you, you know, in a, a safe, secure relationship are able to drop those guards and open yourself up. What I often see in in my work is that then your partner is also able to drop those guards and open themselves up. And when you can both see each other, when you can both see kind of that core, then you can join, you can understand both parties can make some changes. And also both parties can make some open room for kind of acceptance, right? And so there's that middle ground meeting place where you're at. So, you know, I think about in that example that you're sharing, the maybe if you're on the side of of more being more permissive, it's thinking about why is this important to me? What is underneath? What's driving this? And usually there's some fear. There's like, I'm really afraid of, of losing, you know, my child. I'm l- afraid of losing this relationship. It scares me to set boundaries because I don't want to push them too far. And then that opens the other side of, I'm really afraid we're going to lose our child if we don't set these lines, these boundaries. And I'm really afraid, you know, that, that that's going to lead them to not be able to navigate this world and the consequences of it. And then you can see that both people are actually sitting there in fear. So what do we do with this joint fear, right? Yeah. And and I'm noticing too, as you're saying that, that number one, sometimes the, the underlying feelings that two parents who are sort of on the opposite ends of parenting styles, the underlying thing that they want is for their children just to be happy. Like they often want the same thing. They're just going about it in, in different ways. Usually there's also this common underlying feeling. Both people actually have, you know, oftentimes are experiencing the same thing, the same emotional drive underneath, the same need underneath. They are just through their own life experiences have learned different protective shields. They've learned different responses to it. And so they've learned different strategies that work, you know, for their own life course. And so they're showing up differently in the room. And that's why it's easier to join in that state of vulnerability because there's a sense of commonality and understanding and connection in that. Like, oh, you're sitting there afraid too? Like, (laughs) me too. Like how now we can be on the same page. Now we can co-create together an approach and a style that we both kind of feel comfortable with. Vulnerability leads to change. (laughs) Vulnerability is the easier pathway to change. Because when we try to force change through our protective shields, we are in a fight. We are both defending ourselves. We are both attacking each other. And ultimately, there's a stalemate. Vulnerability allows for the pathway of seeing each other, for understanding each other, and then ultimately shifting behavior. 
Absolutely. I think that that's such a great thing. I mean, it really is so similar to what I talk about with parents and children in that, you know, if parents can tap into their own, you know, do you remember what it's like to be a vulnerable child, to have less power, you know, to go through an entire day where everyone's telling you where to go, where to stand, how to be, what to wear. And then you get home with your safe people. Doesn't it make sense that you would be like, that you would just sort of let everything go and have a big meltdown because all day long, I've just been like making no decisions for myself. Right. And, and my brain is underdeveloped (laughs) and I'm three. Uh (laughs) And I'm living in a pandemic. (laughs) And I'm living in a pandemic. Sort of like, can you understand how vulnerable that feels? Right. Mm -hmm. And if parents can, sort of tap into what that can feel like, then sometimes I have more empathy and sometimes they can feel more calm inside. Like there isn't a threat here. There's a person having a hard time here. Exactly. Right. And exactly. and so often in parenting situations where parents feel differently than each other and sort of go at one another with accusations, why aren't you parenting better? Parenting mm-hmm. more like me, that's not really going to get them the thing that they want, right? There because that's just having people bring up their arms, right? Like yeah. bring up their shields and all their protective things. And to amplify the thing that they're doing. So oftentimes you're actually working against yourself, right? And I, I, I do get it, right? This place of, it feels like this very real threat because you are in many ways trying to protect your child, right? You're in this place of conceptualizing what's happening as harm to your child, right? And so that's part of why there's this an urgency for I must stand up and say something in this moment. But if if we're able to take a step back and thinking about, okay, what is the best way to actually change my the experience for my child, to actually make lasting change in my co-parents approach, right? Then if we take a different lens, if we take this place of if I'm wanting shifts, the best way to get there is to allow my part, that co-parent to drop that shield and to, to have room to change. And so that uh, attack of, of their style is amplifying their defense of it, their attachment to it, their need to do it, and then is ultimately just doing more harm, right? <laughs> to, to yourself, to your child, right? And keeping that them stuck, right? Change is a spectrum, right? And once we know, once we really honor the process of change, the more patience that we have, right, in allowing for that to unfold. And the more that we're able to see that forcing someone is actually keeping us on that lower end of of that change process and keeping us stuck. And that's why so many of the couples that come to see me, they're in this place of, we have the same fight over and over. <laughs> like, And sometimes it's there are couples that are otherwise happy, but there's this one issue, this one thing that they're desperate to change, right? And they just can't figure themselves out of that cycle because that heat of the moment conflict, the, the intensity of, you know, we must stamp this out and stop this right now. Both of you are actually in that fight or flight mode. We're not able to understand each other. We're not able to hear each other and we're not able to evaluate what it is that we're doing. So when you're moving from this place of vulnerability, what you're allowing is for the person's body to calm down, for your own body to calm down, for their body to calm down. And when we're out, when that nervous system isn't activated, our brain works. <laughs> we, right? Like that prefrontal cortex then can, you know, come online and hear the other person and process 
what that that information and then integrate it in a way that has the potential to shift behavior. Absolutely. So, you know, sort of overall, when we're thinking about it, we've sort of talked about the idea of trying to be a little vulnerable, right? People talk about going to couples therapy and and lots of times parents or couples in general are reluctant to go. They don't really know what uh, what's going to happen there. You know, I'm wondering if there are any misconceptions or anything that you want to sort of clarify about people who are considering, have considered, might consider going to couples therapy. Absolutely. There's so many. I, I think the, the two that stand out to me, um, number one, you don't have to wait until something's wrong. <laughs> so, so often I hear partners say, you know, I, I don't want to go to couples therapy because that means that there's a problem. Or if we need couples therapy, we shouldn't be in a relationship. Or <laughs> like, or, you know, that is that's my indication that this just doesn't work, right? Really, you know, couples therapy is a support for connection. It's a support for something that's really hard. Being in relationship is hard. So it gives you tools and strategies to to make it work, you know? And uh, that doesn't have to mean that there's a problem. If we, if you think about it, uh, the way that I think about it is just aligned to kind of well visits, right? Every every year we we take our children to just do checkups, you know, not because there's an issue, but because we want to number one like uh, have preventative care, and we also want to find things early enough that we have time and opportunity for change, you know, before we're desperate, before we're kind of on our last leg. So this place of, you know, it doesn't mean that there's a problem and we could all use couples therapy. I, I personally think we all need therapy in general, but when in relationship that we can all use couples therapy. And the other that I, that I hear a lot as a concern or worry is, you know, that it'll be a place of someone taking sides that I don't want to go to couples therapies for them to tell, for them to take my partner's side. And, you know, a good couples therapist isn't one that's telling you what to do in your relationship, but that is kind of allowing to, to reflect the process, to, sh- to show you the pattern that you guys are in and to give you both opportunity and choice to make different decisions. And this fear that it'll be one-sided and knowing that good couples therapists aren't <laughs> aren't allying with, with one partner um, over the other or, or choosing who's right in an argument or debate, but reflecting what is going on for both parties so that you can hear and understand each other and make a joint choice about what you're going to do. Again, it's just, it's so much, you know, you're talking about this particular relationship between potentially romantic partners, mm-hmm. but what you're saying is just really so true for any people who are significantly connected, whether it's a parent, I mean, a teacher and a student or people who own a business together or a parent and a child, it's, it, it just, all of these things make so much sense. This idea that relationships are hard and it makes sense that you would sometimes need support in that endeavor. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. I have a vulnerability course. And one of the things that actually surprised me is how many people took the class for platonic relationships. And there were people who, 
you know, right after, you know, thank you so much for this. I actually, I know this was, you know, you built this in in the context of romantic relationships, but I use this to help with my mom (laughs) or, you know, to, to, to help, you know, improve my friendships and just this rec, like this recognition that, our relationships, there's like similarities in how we build them. And of course, there are ones that are more intimate and, you know, more peripheral, but the core skills are similar, right? And and if we can improve our closest relationships, we can improve all of our relationships. So before we end, you know, let's let our listeners know a little bit about how they can find out about you and your work. Talk. Um, you mentioned your vulnerability course. I really want people to, to hear about that. Absolutely. So I have a vulnerability 101 masterclass. It's, it's built for people to, to learn like how to get your partner to really slow down and hear you, you know, instead of being so busy getting you to see their side that you feel ignored. It, it teaches you skills about when and how to bring up those big, tough, sensitive topics like parenting, some of those things that we're talking about um, today and, and how to really talk, you know, without attacking each other or becoming defensive. And then if you just want to know more about me and my work, like I mentioned, I have quite a few different hats. So I do clinical work. Um, if you're interested in couples therapy or some of the other courses or workshops that I do, you can kind of follow me. Um, I'm also bit.ly forward slash join Alasia. That's my name, A-L-E-J-A. Um, and that's really the best way to stay connected with me and find out about the work that I'm doing. Thanks so much for being here and giving our listeners some pointers about how we can use these tips from emotionally focused couples therapy to, to, you know, maybe get on the same page or come closer to getting on the same page with our co-parents about how we want to do this parenting thing. It's a process, but step by step, dropping those shields, dropping into that vulnerability, connecting on that core emotional need. It moves us to change. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. You can find out more about Dr. Alasia Parsons' Vulnerability Masterclass at bit.ly slash vulnerability masterclass. That's all one word, vulnerability masterclass. And you can sign up for her email list at bit.ly slash joinalasia. You can learn more about my work with parents at www.brooklynparenttherapy.com. That's all one word, brooklynparenttherapy.com and on Instagram at BKParents. That's B-K-P-A-R-E-N-T-S. If you have more questions about co-parent communication or any other parenting questions or stories, leave me a message at 646-926-3243. And be sure to let me know if it's okay to use your voice on the show. Or send an email to parenthood at quickanddirtytips.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Project Parenthood on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Catch you next week. Project Parenthood is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our operations and editorial manager is Michelle Margulies. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller. And our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. 